everybody and welcome to Top 10 Thursdays. This week it's another blast from the past featuring me, Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Colin Westman. No Matt Carson's this week. He went to war to fight for his country. And, uh, you know, be safe, my, my friend. Hopefully someday you'll come back. Nah, man, he's a baby killer. Whoa. Fuck that guy. I don't need your hippie bullshit, Colin. <laughs> Got a band together, man. Uncle Sam's keeping us down. So we gotta listen to some rockin' tunes. Baby killer? <laughs> that was like a term they used for soldiers. I don't know what it means, really. <laughs> like, they kill Vietnamese babies, I guess? I don't know. It's weird. Ew. Good to know. Not a lot of that in Forrest Gump. <laughs> nah. It's <laughs> the part they left out. You know what? There was a lot of rockin' tunes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're trying to get you to segue, Sean. Oh, I have to be the one? Uh, well, the you're like the host guy. That's your position. This this week we're gonna take that flower power and turn it back on itself in honor of Mad Men coming back. Uh, as I guess is a tradition, we are doing uh, top albums of a year in the '60s. This year it's 1969. I hope, if I'm prepared correctly, uh, which is a good year, I guess. The year we went to the moon. That's pretty sweet. You Woodstock guys, happened. Woodstock. Midnight Cowboy. Classic film. Not the happiest film. Uh, you guys excited about Mad Men coming back? Definitely. For the for the last time. I don't like that they're splitting it up though, but uh, I'm I'm super excited. I feel like my life just gets so much more sophisticated and classy when Mad Men's on. <laughs> I just it makes me feel like an adult watching Mad Men. Are they doing it uh, Breaking Bad style, where it's like a full year, where it's practically two seasons for the last season? Or is it shorter? Yeah, they're doing it Breaking Bad style. So, I don't know. Maybe we can do a 1970 podcast next year. God, that'd be weird. Would it? I feel like we've never talked about 70s music. Yeah. Like, ever. I don't know why. It's super weird. What's going on in the 70s? Well, we'll get there and we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go into the list, uh, I've got a couple honorable mentions. Ah, so many. Uh, like everything I wanted to put on the list, I, I'm bumping it. Uh, so that's Space Oddity by David Bowie. Uh, I wrote about this like a year ago when we were doing the, the Bowie retrospective. Uh, it's his second album. It's, his, it's like the first one you should probably listen to if you're interested in David Bowie music. Uh introduces major tom that classic character that we all love so much and it's it's uh it's fun 
it's it's not uh, you know it probably wouldn't have made the top ten list but it's pretty good also I like volunteers by Jefferson Airplane if you're into that sort of stuff if you're ready to listen to a second Jefferson Airplane album that's probably the one to go with I think um, especially the song volunteers at the very end it's really fun and also I put uh, everybody knows nowhere by uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse cuz it's fucking sweet if you just wanna hear some jamming agreed uh, and I put on Blind Faith, which was Supergroup with Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Steve Winwood, and some guy who uh, it's kind of what I listen to once I finished listening to Cream, kind of wean myself onto another Eric Clapton project. And it's it's visually just a big rock jam band, and there's some pretty good songs on there, but it's only like six songs, and two of them are like 15 plus minutes, so it is a little grueling at times. And, and it's sad because they never did another album, so you never got to see where they could have taken that. I don't know, maybe it just would have been like even less like approachable, like two songs that are 40 minutes long or something. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of drugs would be were, you know going around that recording studio. I also put on uh, Nashville Skyline, Bob Dylan, which I seem to recall being pretty country-ish, kind of rootsy. And I can't remember why his voice is different on that album. It's like totally different. I thought I had. It just, did he quit cigarettes or something? Or? <laughs> I feel like he just chose to sing like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the story. But it's kind of interesting. It's. I mean, it's a departure in that way. I kind of like the different different voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I describe that. I think he just the way did. we did it, it sounded like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. But it's 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 nice. Mm-hmm. It's good. I guess for my honorable mentions, I got uh, Dusty Springfield, uh, Dusty in Memphis, which is a cool sort of combination of like British pop music, which Dusty Springfield was. But then she went to Memphis and recorded like kind of a more soulish album. It's uh, so one I I just hadn't listened to in a while, but I listened to it recently. I was like, wow. This is much better than I remembered. Uh, Arthur by the Kinks is awesome and probably my favorite Kinks album, but I don't know. I guess this week I'm just putting them in the penalty box because I feel like we talk about the Kinks a lot and I got nothing new to say about that album. And on In a Silent Way, Miles Davis, you know, just kind of, went in there and reinvented jazz for like the third or fourth time no big deal but i didn't want to make you guys talk about jazz so it's an honorable mention i could talk about jazz improvise that's all you got to do when you talk about jazz (laughs) yes just talk about jazz like you're playing jazz with your mouth that's that's the key yeah Enough of this. Jazzed up. Tomfoolery. It's time to get this party started. If I'm using the right uh, slang from 69. Uh, Close enough. Let's start things off by talking about the self titled release from the band.
This is the band's second album. I think it's my favorite uh, release by the band, uh, which is tough to say because the first one's really good too. But this is just a great slice of Americana. I mean, I feel like some people even said it's a concept album because like it's just like so American and they're like these little <laughs> like uh, stories about country folk and whatnot. Yeah, I and, just imagine like all the characters are like just out on the frontier, living on the homestead, you know, that kind of stuff. So this is like the soundtrack to Oregon Trail or something. Yeah, they. That'd be a fun experience. And I think one of my favorite things about the band—it's always one of my favorite things about the band—is that name is so appropriate because I feel like they're such a collaborative group. You know, like they have like basically three different singers. Everyone can switch instruments, which I think happens on Rag Mama Rag, because I remember there's a classic albums episode about this about this album, and everybody's like playing something different, and they have their producer playing a tuba like instead of a bass, and there's just all sorts of stuff going on, and and that 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 pops up in a couple other songs, but there's just a whole different array of instruments. And uh, and styles kind of. I mean, it's mostly rootsy music, but there's also some like funky stuff, like up on Cripple Creek, has that weird, I don't know, like clavinet or you know that. And it's got like it's got the greatest beat too. That's super funky. I mean, it's got some pretty pretty big songs. You know, like that one. That was a that was a this was kind of a radio hit. And uh, night they drove old Dixie down, which is so sad. Like <laughs> it's about the Civil War, man. Yeah, Civil War is pretty sad. That's like the saddest thing you could sing about. <laughs> and it's like from the Southern perspective, you know, about these guys that just go out and they, you know, they're dying and their brothers die, and you know, what's it all for? You know, and it's just it paints such a vivid picture of that time. Like I seem to recall hearing about it, like. Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson going to the library <laughs> and like reading about history. Like, how, how many bands do that? Like, we want the song to be historically accurate. Yeah, it's like that's not the first thing you think about when you think about the rock star lifestyle. You're like, these guys are going to the library to create their rock music. That was their inspiration. It wasn't but, Cookers, Hookers, yeah. and Blow? Cookers, Hookers, and Blow. Cookers, Hookers, and Blow. <laughs> you gotta have a chef on the tour bus, man. It's. The- of the utmost importance. The best <laughs> part of the life. Blow. It's like a Guy Fieri book. <laughs> <laughs> like when he bottoms out. <laughs> it's about a dark time in his life. Oh, yeah. He's got all these, like, menu items that are named after, like, rock songs. If I could come up with one right now, I totally would. Back in black and blue cheeseburger. <laughs> I guess it'd probably be a biography. That it could work. Book. Like it's got, you know, it's got blue cheese on it. Crumble all over the burger. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a departure from the band. Yeah. But uh, have you seen the classic albums episode of this, Colin? Yeah. I've seen most of those <laughs> documentaries. It's, there's something just really fun about watching Levon Helm play the drums and sing. And like how in that in that particular uh, kind of documentary thing, he just keeps talking about like it's easy, you know. It's just it's it's actually easier to sing while playing the drums. And he's just like he has so much fun doing it. 
mm-hmm. and he has so much energy, and uh, he really was the heart of that band. So it was a shame he passed recently. You know, mm-hmm. you know recently enough. But no, I like it. I, I like to listen to it in the summer. Just pretend I'm like in the south or something. <laughs> Sipping on some iced tea. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's great. Let's. Uh, we can move ahead now. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> big one. Oh. Yeah, we've talked about these guys before. We should just talk about them with very vague clues. Or not. It's. Uh, wants- I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. It's, it's Abbey Road by the Beatles. I mean, it wasn't their last. I mean, it was their last like real collaboration as a band. I mean, Let It Be came out afterwards, but this was like, this was the the, the end, the final countdown, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tend to look at it as the last Beatles album, cause it's like a happy ending, I think, cause it seems like on on the album they're actually like working together. It's not like Let It Be or the White Album where they're just like kind of writing their own songs and not letting a whole lot of collaboration come through they actually they're you know you get the idea that they're sitting in the studio around a microphone harmonizing and shit and that's that's awesome yeah and like everyone gets their moment mm-hmm. you know you have even Ringo gets to do Octopus's Garden and I know George helped him on that so people are like working alongside and he gets his drum solo oh yeah at, yeah at the very end it's funny because I feel like I've heard that the Beatles asked Ringo to do something longer and like crazier, but for some <laughs> reason he wanted to keep it simple. And I mean, it's, it's it's like it's pretty memorable. I mean, how many drum solos can you like actually just do like in your head? You know, like the whole thing. Like I probably can. Mm, yeah, I can't do any others. <laughs> I can't memorize Moby Dick in my head. <laughs> so I mean, that says something, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it's got it's got your your big Beatles singles, you know, with your come together and uh, and something, and here comes the sun. But then you have that whole second half of the album that's kind of experimental, and all the songs just kind of segue into each other, and that's that's really interesting. So there's like so much going on, you know, a little bit of everything, lots of lavish studio production, which is kind of nice. I, mean, I guess when you consider like. The White Album was kind of uh, sloppy. Mm-hmm. It's nice that they could go out on something that felt really well produced. It's really pretty. Yeah, because it does kind of seem like studio technology had never like quite gotten up to where the Beatles wanted to be. They're always trying to just push the limits of what they could do in the studio. But by the late '60s, you know, they had. I remember them talking about how they actually had like 18 tracks or whatever where they could actually put a lot of stuff on the songs and not have to kind of Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how that shit. <laughs> I don't know how many vocal tracks there are on Because, but it seems like there's a lot. There's some intricate harmonizing going on there. Yeah. And then like 
yeah, there's this. Isn't this one of the first albums I've heard? At least one of the first big commercial albums to have Moog, Moog synthesizer on it. Yeah, I've heard and a couple heard tracks. That. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely the first big one. So, even at the end, they're like throwing in stuff that people like didn't do, and like, you know, they were still experimental, even though their days were numbered. That's, <laughs> that's pretty dark, but you know. Anyone, you guys have a favorite cut on this this album? Is or is it too hard to pick? Probably here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I'd probably go with "You Never Give Me Your Money" just because it's got so many different parts to it. See that whole medley. I have a hard time thinking of them as individual songs. I mean, "You Never Give Me Your Money" is kind of long. Yeah, so I kind of think of that one as you can treat it as his own song, but the rest of the album, yeah, it's kind of flows like one together. thing. How does that work in Beatles rock band? They give you a choice. You can either play them as individual songs or as a medley. Dang, that's pretty. Yeah, sweet. I remember playing the medley. That being pretty sweet. Definitely. Yeah, I mean it's great. Down, there's not a lot of weak moments. Um, I remember. Actually, you know, looking back, or even looking at it today, I feel like McCartney may be a little weaker if I had to pick a, a weak link, just because he's got kind of do- he's kind of dopey on this album. Just because I think of Maxwell Silverhammer and Oh Darling being back to back. I mean, those are good songs, but a little cheesy. Nothing wrong with that. I'm like, just like he's kind of starting to transition into the kind of songs he'd write in his solo career. It's amazing he never did kids music. Yeah, I mean the Beatles did a couple songs that I, mean, I guess like are kid friendly. Basically, a kid song. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure that was movie. more McCartney like than Lennon, right? Yeah. You think so? I think so. I'm sure, Lennon wanted to make it a lot darker. The the submarine gets attacked by Russian warships. <laughs> Sequel? Sequel? I don't know. What is there to say about Abbey Road? I mean, we're just showering praise on it. Everyone knows how good it is. Yeah. I was, I was drinking out of my Abbey Road coffee mug this morning. Oh, really? You have yeah. Abbey? I used to have a poster. Yeah. It's got, like, the silhouette of it. It's pretty sweet. And I had a, and I had a t-shirt that was really crappy because it was brown. And then it had the poster on it. It's like, ah, uh, uh, who wants a brown t-shirt? I go for a brown t-shirt. I think I got one. What band really works with a brown t-shirt, though? The band. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the band, like, that's not a cool shirt to have, though. If you just have that, you know, it's like a couple bearded guys looking at you. I don't know. Maybe if people don't know that that's actually a band, they think it's like a really funny generic shirt you're walking around in. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. Oh, that's funny. It just says the band and just a, bunch of, a picture of a bunch of random dudes with beards. <laughs> Possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can move ahead if you guys want to move ahead. Yeah, let's, let's keep on chugling. It's, it's a really good album. If you haven't listened to Abbey Road yet, just, just, God, ugh, stop it. Oh, someone someone didn't even make a choice here. We've got like 15 Creams Clearwater Revival albums coming up. 
Well, the thing about 1969 and Credence is they released three albums that year. But the thing, at least for me, about Credence is I feel like they were so consistent that every album was kind of the same, but like, like really good too. Like, I can't pick one personally. I mean, they might have all just released. They should have just released one giant album. Yeah, instead of three pretty short albums. I mean, I get how they do it. They have a pretty. It's. I feel like Credence has like a formula. You know, they their songs are short. They all follow kind of a similar style. I mean, John Fogarty pretty much has all the control, so he knows exactly what he wants to do. And, you know, he's got a vision, and obviously it was a good vision because, you know, they had a lot of hit singles. And, you know, they were pretty successful in 69. I feel like... I can't, There's one year I know they outsold the Beatles. Maybe that was another... Maybe that was 1970. But, I, you know, they were... People wanted their CCR. Yeah, I mean, you look at these three albums, they do have most of their big hits. I don't know, Cosmos Factory's got a lot of stuff on it, but it's like Proud Mary, Fortunate Son, Bad Moon Rising, Born on the Bayou, Born on the Bayou, <laughs> Green River. I mean, yeah, every every album is just loaded with these hits. I mean, why do you think people respond to that kind of music? I mean, is it the style or is it just the fact that they're catchy? I think it's both. I mean, Credence is a, I think, kind of a, I don't know, kind of a unique band in that they had a lot of pop hits, but they never felt like they were pandering to a pop audience. Like, they had a sort of no-nonsense kind of nitty-gritty sound, and they just kind of cranked out these awesome, like, working man (laughs) tunes. But it, it like it never feels like they're trying to write pop songs. Yeah, and maybe that's one of the reasons I feel Credence is kind of timeless. Like I don't feel like their songs are. I mean, maybe it's just me, but they don't feel that dated to me. No, uh, I I totally agree. I think because yeah, they're just so simple and they don't. They're not really connected to that time period in any way. They they could have come out really any time it's just straight up rock and roll songs that are just awesome and straight to the point i mean i love that they kept it straight to the point because i feel like john forty is a pretty good guitar player but he never does anything like super fancy on guitar like he always says these really simple riffs and his solos are very short if there are solos and the drum parts are always pretty basic i mean everything's <laughs> kept so simple but I mean, I don't know. Somehow, it's a formula that has kept it. I I keep coming to timeless. I don't know. Great summer music too. Oh yeah. What's your favorite of the three that we have here? I'd probably go with Green River. Um, Green River. I, I think I would too. I just bought it on vinyl. Um, I guess because maybe it has. I don't know. It's it's the least no, or it's the most no nonsense of their albums. It's so straight to the point. It's like every song's two or three minutes long. I think the album isn't even a half hour yeah. long. And you also, gotta get to their work shift, you know. Yeah, I feel As like a grave some of their... digger. <laughs> Working the midnight shift at the graveyard. Exactly. There's a Creedence song. 
a graveyard and... shift at the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little redundant. That's, but, that's basically know. zombie patrol at that point, right? <laughs> Just gets like a rifle. It's got to make sure that the people don't come out of their graves and turn into werewolves. Oh, God. That's the nightmare. <laughs> zombie werewolves. You can't kill that. That's the way they keep coming back is because even though they're dead, you know, they're, the full moon comes and they still become a werewolf even though they're dead. See, I don't know why they didn't make a CCR movie where they fight werewolves. Or if they did like a really crappy Broadway musical at this point. <laughs> that that could still happen, yes. You know, they have characters like Lodi would be like a character's name. If Willie and the Poor Boys would have to like save the day with their <laughs> shitty instruments. <laughs> I say shitty because on the cover of that album, they're all playing like there's like a washboard and like one of those crappy basses that's just like a string on a mop. I'm all about how they actually play that album cover on the album, like the song "Poor Boy Shuffle" is just like a. Yeah, it is that. It's them playing the. It's just a, a representation of what's going on in the album. It just it just shows how no nonsense they are, you know. <laughs> we don't care these instruments suck. We're playing on the cover. We're gonna play them. <laughs> Doing, 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 doing. It's cool though. It's funny that Credence didn't do more covers. I mean, they do a handful of covers, but like, it's weird like, how their songs feel like covers. Yeah, I feel like they did enough. I guess they did enough. I'm it's, always a fan of when they did do it. Like, uh, on Willie the Poor Boys, I'm all about Cotton Fields. Yeah. It's just John Fogerty like singing all the parts. It's like super awesome. I like their cover of Nighttime is the Right Time. Just because I like hearing John Fogarty go, Why do they? God, what a voice. It's funny to think there was a time where he wasn't the lead singer of that band. Like, when they started out as whatever they were, the Gollawogs or whatever. No, it was even before that. Before they were that band. And John Fogarty's brother Tom, who ended up playing rhythm guitar, was the lead singer. The John Fogarty's like, you know, check this out. And like, Wah! <laughs> It's like, holy shit, like, no one else sounds like that. And then he just took control of the band, and it was, in a way, Credence is kind of, like, his solo project. I mean, the other guys are pretty, yeah, they're important, they're holding down the the sound, but John Fogarty had so much control, and he was the producer of all the albums. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, yeah, he's like a Swiss Army knife or something. He's very talented in all sorts of different aspects. He's great. It's funny that he didn't have a more prolific solo career. I mean, he had some hits, like, in the 80s. I just remember Maybe he, it got to the yeah. point where he was coming to casinos here every year in the summer, and we never wanted to actually go see him. Uh, oh, I keep saying someday. Yeah, I feel like I'd be willing to see him, because I feel like he'd play a lot of Creedence songs. Yeah. I think the thing is he probably just used all his energy and all his resources back in that. I mean, if you're, release, if you're releasing three albums in the same year, you're probably going to wear down a little bit mm-hmm. at some point. You're saying um, he's he, been he burned gave... out for 50 years? <laughs> Not 50 years. I'm just saying there's reason to understand why his like solo career hasn't been quite as spectacular. It's because you know he put his best years into Credence, and he put a lot of work into that. I mean, how many albums did they release between such a small period of time? 
He's like, I mean, it's a good amount. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven between 1968 and 1972. It's pretty impressive. And not a lot of bad ones. I mean, really only the, I don't know if any of them are bad. The, the last one isn't as good, and the first one is okay, but pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. It's a keyword, Credence. Didn't you guys both have the Credence box set? No. No, you just copied it from John. Yeah, John brought okay. it over and I ripped it onto my computer. Good. Which is I love not that a crime. box set. No, it looks like wood. You know, that's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Be cooler if it actually was wood. Oh, wouldn't it be? Every copy is carved by John Fogarty himself. <laughs> Handcrafted. Carving a box of wood in the graveyard shoe. Zombie werewolves. life you must live I'm sorry is somebody going to say something Sean might have but uh... he said anything that needed to be said (laughs) (laughs) okay shall we move on to Crosby, Stills, and Nash okay by Crosby, Stills, and Nash what's a bummer about that is that they did another album later on called CSN so you have to call it Crosby, Stills, and Nash just to be clear that's the one you're talking about it's like well, can't you guys name your albums things it'd probably help I was never too crazy about um that one CSN the later one got kind of weird how weird later was stuff. that one it was like late 70s okay but we're talking about the first one. Yeah. Oh, sweet. It came out on my birthday. <laughs> well, 20 years before I was bored. <laughs> Still. Uh, so I think the story, uh, one of the things I love about Crisis Nash is the story of them coming together. I mean, they were all in, you know, somewhat notable bands. And I don't know how they met up. I mean... Uh, Steven Stills was, you know, in Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young, but he, of course, went his different way for a little while. But eventually, all these guys came together and like sung together and realized, oh man, we're all, we're all really good. Like when we harmonize, we should do an album. I mean, was was David Crosby still in the Birds? Did he, or had he already left? Uh, you know we talked about this on the 1968 podcast. Okay. At this point, he had been phased out by a horse. <laughs> that likes to sing about space, according to us. Okay, so he is that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And Graham Nash left the Hollies, maybe because I don't know. He found out they were replicants or something. If we're gonna keep going with this bizarre <laughs> alternate timeline for how CSN started, yeah. mm-hmm. and I don't know why Steven Stills left Buffalo Springfield. Anyone want to theorize on that? They replaced him with a buffalo. <laughs> with a guy on a buffalo. <laughs> guy on a buffalo. It was just too damn good. He couldn't compete. Anyways, uh, Christ Sills and Nash is those three guys harmonizing. I assume they just recorded all their songs on that couch that they're sitting <laughs> on on the album cover. They're all just kind of hanging out. That's a very... Sounds like it. It's a pretty laid back album. 
most of the songs yeah, are pretty laid back. I mean, some songs are even just one acoustic guitar and then the three of them singing. And I, it's just it's just so beautiful, especially David Crosby. He always has that great holds down that great midsection that is super beautiful. And you know, when you see him today, I feel like he's the best sounding of them <laughs> and the best looking. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. Hey, he's like second place considering how crappy Steven Steele looks now. <laughs> so that's good for him. What about Graham Nash? You know, no, he's he's number one. He's he, got the salt and pepper. Yeah, and the, the mustache. Looks and he's great. English, so it gets bonus points. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these guys are just really good singers and really great guitar work and very pretty songs. And it's amazing that they've been doing it for so long too. I guess my one beef. Oh no! Stills oh no! <laughs> I'm not crazy about David Crosby as a songwriter. You know what? I I'm, might agree with you on I've that I've never one. been that big a fan of his songs. It's also a problem I have with the later Birds albums that he's on. It's like, he just like can't quite craft a pop hook. His songs are just like kind of meandering and like really overly serious. And I'm just not really a fan. Got a great voice. Uh, I'm sure he's a great guy, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not that big a fan of his songs. I mean, I, there's definitely some songs I, by him I really like, but I kind of understand where you're coming from. They never follow, I mean, his songs never follow any kind of normal progression. They're always, they do kind of meander, very bizarre chord choices, super serious. Um, I mean, Guinevere, I think, is a great number, but there's definitely some other ones that I can think of. Like, Wooden Ships is good, but like, I mean, I guess I was covered with Stephen Sills, but the words that are really weird and... Talking about his purple berries. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if I had to pick someone in Christ Does Nash who I feel like kind of made them who they were, I mean, they all were equally important. But I think Stephen Stills, you know, he kind of came with that rootsy, uh, bluesy background. And, I mean, he was, when I was saying, you know, there's usually one guitar, it was usually him, and he was kind of holding that down. And I feel like he sang lead the most, too. So he kind of had that, a great leadership quality. Mm-hmm. Um my man can play a hell of a guitar too. He's fantastic. He's only gotten better at guitar too in his later years. It's just a shame that everything else has gotten so much worse. Like he looks like a toad, and his voice is so bad these days. I don't know what he's done. I don't know if he's just like gargling liquor bottles or something, like broken glass. Um, mm. <laughs> but he's great on this album. And then Graham Nash, you know, he always added that kind of like. I, you know, British invasion poppy feel a little bit. I feel like that's that's more prevalent on their next album. He doesn't really write a lot, if I recall, on the first one. He wrote Mary Cash Express, which is great. That's right. You're right, you're right yeah. And that, that definitely feels a little a little poppier. But no, I love the rootsiness. I love this this genre of music, which I might also throw the band into, that kind of like it's not country, but it's like Americana, Southern rock. And hey, we just talked about Credence, too. So mm-hmm. It has something to do with that late 60s Woodstock era. <laughs> not that like, any of these people were from the South. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> Credence is from San Francisco. Band the band's from Canada. I mean, Levon Helm's from the South. But... Cosby and then, Nash is kind of I from don't... all over. 
You got like a Californian guy, a British guy. I think I think Steven Stills is originally from Texas. That's as All close right. as you're gonna get. All right. But the other two guys, no. Everyone just wanted, everyone wanted to be like super American in a time where that was like people hated America or something. Or maybe maybe it's more of like I want to return to like a simpler time. I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but maybe. A lot of these bands have these kind of very American uh, sounds. Why that became popular, I'm not quite sure. They wanted to get to something real after all that phony baloney, hippy-dippy shit. I suppose something rootsy, earthy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Woodstock people were rootsy and earthy and muddy. Just sitting on a couch jamming. That's all you need. I get behind that. No, I love this album, and it's it was a pleasure. I'm sure, Sean, you've seen him twice, right? Saw him twice. Once Neil Young, yeah. once without. Um, it's it's pretty fun. You uh, definitely get to hang out with a lot of older people at these shows. <laughs> um, probably the most memorable example of that was with that one guy must have been in his 40s if not older who got super drunk and was dancing around and rammed into John <laughs> he fell on me uh, in a venue where most people were just sitting down so it was kind of weird Yeah, I don't know I, I like a lot of the songs off this album and they play a lot of them live still it's you know, a testament to how good it is I guess I'm sure I mean if it lasts that long I just think it's crazy to think this I, I'm pretty sure Crosby, Stills, and Nash was my dad's first concert in 1969. And then, you know, I saw them in 2005. So, But it wasn't your first concert. It wasn't my... I, yeah, it wasn't my first concert, but it's it's still crazy to think that, like, I could see them that much later. Yeah. And still have a pretty good time. Yeah, like a testament to the quality of the music. Judy Blue Eyes, every time, makes me happy to hear Oh yeah. All right. Let's let the let out. Let's do it. Let's Zeppelin. First and second Led Zeppelin album in this year, which is crazy, because both these albums kind of just lay down sort of the blueprint for basically what hard rock would become in the 70s and 80s, pretty much. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's start with the first one. Okay. Which is kind of experimental. Which yeah, it, it's got a few different directions they go in that they never really did again. Like, your time is going to come as, like, like, this weird, like, mixture of, like, almost like folk and gospel, which doesn't really sound like anything else they did. And there's, yeah, there's a lot more blues stuff on that first album. You can definitely see that that was kind of the starting point for where they went. But then also they're just 
just like good times, bad times. It's just one of those things where it's got that Zeppelin groove. Like nobody, nobody could, <laughs> nobody could hone like a heavy groove like that. It's just ah, sweet. It's it's also interesting to see their takes on some of these, you know, older, you know, like older blues styles and everything, or even like Days and Confused, which I feel like stems from like a more psychedelic song back in the 60s that Jimmy Page basically kind of rewrote. And I remember, I think he first had planned to play it with the Yardbirds. I'm not sure if they ever recorded a version. But anyways, Dazed and Confused on this first Led Zeppelin album is like sort of psychedelic, but it's also like a new era of of, of like hard rock where... I mean, I'd say it's psychedelic, but it's not like hippy-dippy bullshit, you know? It's like... It's like dark. It is dark. You can sense... You know, <laughs> Jimmy Page was like supposedly meddling in the dark arts or whatever on that song. Like you listen to that song and you're like, you can kind of hear like Satan's involved somewhere in here, right? <laughs> yeah, it gets really heavy. There's some really scary, ominous sounds floating around. I think it's because that's the song where he takes out the bow, uh-huh. which I don't know if anybody had really done much of that before. <laughs> Using a bow for a guitar. There's just like this moaning here and there. That's that's one of the things I love about Robert Plant is sometimes when you feel like he basically just improvises the whole song. Yeah. You know, like he's just yeah. I mean, that, just improvising, and and he had such a great voice for that. You know. So it was always fun. He could just be yelling some gibberish and be like, "Oh, that sounds so good." <laughs> and there's a there's like some more like a few acoustic little tidbits here and there i feel like that helps kind of in in showing jimmy page's diversity as guitar player and how much he can accomplish i mean he's he used weird tunings that were really interesting and just interesting progressions and he's he may be my favorite guitarist of all time just he's very diverse and he could hold down a lot it's pretty great I'm always impressed by bands that sound huge when there's only like three guys that are playing actual instruments. I mean, of course, these song, these album, songs on the album have more going on in the production, but still, each member of Zeppelin brought so much. I'm all about it. What about Zeppelin Two? How's that different? I think they just sort of eased into a more, I guess, complete or specific sound. Like on that first one, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of experimenting with a bunch of different things that would eventually make up the different shades of Led Zeppelin, but Zeppelin 2, it just kind of goes straight to that riff-heavy hard rock stadium-bound kind of sound and it's just it's it's my favorite Zeppelin album, I guess. <laughs> I guess I like it when hard rockin' bands just don't fuck around. They they just give you a steady block of rock, and sometimes that's just something that I'm in the mood for, and I, Zeppelin II always delivers when I'm in that mood. Oh, yeah. It's definitely more cohesive, I think, probably than the last one. Yeah. And there's it's some just, songs that have... Yeah. Well, I was just say, gonna say, which is interesting, because I feel like the recording of this album kind of took place like all over the place. Like they recorded it in studios in England and America and like Vancouver or something. 
while they were on tour. Like, they didn't really just sit down and record this album. It was kind of all over the place. But I guess they were so sort of entrenched in what kind of band they wanted to be at that point that it didn't really matter. They, they were just focused no matter what. Totally. Yeah. It's got a whole lot of love, which is, I feel like, was kind of a popular single, which is so weird to think about considering it's got that whole midsection that's weird experimental stuff. <laughs> so the fact that they could make that like a radio song is pretty impressive. And then it's and then it's got Ramble on. About hobbits and shit, right? Hell yeah. Nerd In shit, the but deepest made depths of Mordor. Can you imagine if someone did that today? It'd be so lame. Like, what <laughs> if there was a hard rockin' band that just started singing out Game of Thrones? See, that's not fair, because Game of Thrones is a TV show and international hit. It's It would be if they, you know, just pulled some book that people don't know shit about. Didn't the Hold Steady do like a Game of Thrones song? They did. It's pretty sweet. It's in. Okay. It's kind of weirdly used in yeah. that like a super dramatic moment happens and they cut to credits and that song starts playing, <laughs> which is like really upbeat. But it's it's pretty sweet. Okay. The National did a song that same season. Yeah, but they're not as hard rocking. But I feel like you can get away with. Lord of the Rings references at a time when it was kind of obscure yeah when it's not a big movie franchise and then she's like oh those I mean, guys are into that weird book oh okay whatever <laughs> is there any popular books that aren't movies yet that a band could turn into a song I don't think anything's popular now that's not a movie and there's stuff I mean even stuff that is it's probably in the process of becoming a movie Probably. Maybe, um, I mean, it's not something new, but the uh, Dark Tower books, Stephen King. Yeah, that's going to be a movie soon enough, but if you were writing some songs about it now, I'd be like, whatever, you guys just know that book. At least you're reading. (laughs) Slinger's coming to town. Clearly, I don't know much about the book. It's, It's more than I do. Gunsling is coming to town. Is that his name? Or is that what he is? I, that, uh, isn't that what the first Dark Tower book is called or something? I don't know. We're outside my realm of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun talking about things that we barely know anything about. Do you think... So we just look like idiots. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I think that's what it is, but I don't know. Do you think the tower thing, it's like a... It's like a two towers thing, where where like the ultimate evil lives in the tower, and they gotta blow it up, or is it just all set in a tower? I don't think all of, like eight books are set in a tower. <laughs> the dark I'm gonna go with the first one, though. I have absolutely no idea. I'm not sure why we feel like we need to speculate. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with I have absolutely no idea as well. You know a song I like is Your Time Is Gonna Come? Yeah, I like sing along with that. Yeah. I contributed to this. So we can move on <laughs> to uh, Kick Out the Jams by MC5. Or Mick 5 maybe? 
Maybe, maybe it was like a sweet skateboard trick. Doing a Mick Five. Or like a Scottish band. Or would that be Irish? Mick. Or, or like a McDonald's burger that had five patties on it. <laughs> the, the Mick Five. The Mick Five. It's got ham it's on it. Kick out the ham! Oh. Kick God, out the hamburger. That'd be the greatest advertising campaign. If if they did this, but it was just one day. If McDonald's said that you have one day, one chance to get the McFive, would you take that chance? <laughs> if you knew for the rest of your life you would never have another opportunity to order it. I would if their marketing campaign was kick out the ham. Because <laughs> I would respect... <laughs> Like an advertising choice that most people who go to McDonald's probably would not get. They gotta have a commercial too where they drop the f bomb and they only show it once. (laughs) 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 And then it's got like extreme a hamburger doing extreme things. Like driving a monster truck. Take out the jails, motherfucker! Anyways. Alright, that's another episode. No, what? 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 Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things that just comes out of the blue. Because, like, who knew who MC5 was and suddenly... I mean, I guess it's their debut, but... I mean, just this band comes out of nowhere and is super intense and is willing to, you know, drop the, uh, drop F-bombs and make their debut album, like, a live album. Which is probably the most honest thing they could have done. Or just the best representation of what they can do. And yeah. just, like huge awesome riffs and it's sloppy but like in the best way (laughs) I agree I had not listened to this album in a long time yeah maybe because I don't know none of these songs really stand out from each other other than kick out the jams which is classic but I don't know whenever any of the songs come on my iPod shuffle I'm just like eh I don't know. I don't know if it stands stands up on its own, but like listening to this album as a whole, yeah, it's one just giant hulking, heavy piece of rock, and it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I like to think it's more just about the overall feel than even the individual parts that yeah. make it up. But there's definitely some moments that I'm all about. Like I'm a big fan of Ramblin' Rose and how I believe... Wayne Kramer, who's usually the the lead guitar player, actually sings the vocal part on that, and like I don't even know if that's co- that you consider that like good singing what he's doing on that song. Yeah, but there's something that's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but there's something so memorable about yeah. that, and so like guttural and raw. That, like I respect like it, everything like, else about that song rocks so hard. It's gets away the. Like if if this band sang like that all the time, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think I'd want to work, listen to that. In that moment, in that one moment, they totally, totally make it work for me. 
I mean, there's, yeah, there's not much to say about it because it's. I mean, any. I guess any band could have been MC5. It just they were in the right place at the right time, or or maybe even not because like, I can't imagine this was a commercial hit, but lots of people remember it. Ah, uh, I don't give a fuck anymore, you guys. Let's talk about "Look a Pie Pie" by the Meters. an album I got into during high school when for some reason I was just like listening to a lot of funk music. That's what happens when you hit that age. I guess. (laughs) Just want to be badass. And And black. Black, yes. We all have a time in our lives. But, I don't know, a lot of that funk stuff, like Parliament Funkadelic especially, is like kind of too weird and experimental and i just don't return to it a lot but the meters you know it's just these very short songs where it's just all about the groove it's i mean they're instrumental but i feel like they're they're catchy enough like the melodies that the the keyboard player is doing are are catchy enough that you can you can hum along but at the same time it's good music to have just sort of on in the background if you want something to to groove out to. I know, uh, I remember having this <laughs> CD in my car a lot when I first got my driver's license. And I remember, I think I bought it like on one of the last days of school because it was one of, it was one of those days where it was like, you can come to school or you can not come to school. We don't really care. <laughs> so what I did was, I remember I did not go to school I went and had breakfast at McDonald's, and then I went to Silver Platters, and I bought this album, and I thought it was, like, so cool. It's like, I'm just out here in society. I'm not at school. This feels so great. And then I think I showed up, like, at the tail end of the school day and uh, hooked up with you guys, who actually went to school, like a bunch of chumps that day. Yeah, because I don't remember ever them saying, hey, you can just not come if you don't want to. <laughs> it was like an unspoken thing, though. Like, none of the teachers cared. What are they going to do? They already, like, processed your grades, and it doesn't matter. And then I think uh, after I met with, up with you guys, we went and saw Nacho Libre. Fucking sweet. Good times. Nacho. If that was the day we went to Nacho Libre, I seem to recall, like, going to some park or something before that. Play or something. Yeah, I think that's right. We played wiffle ball for a little bit, but not that to long. Cause we're just like, oh man, we're, we gotta go see Daja Libre. I'm so excited! It's from the guy that did Napoleon. Hurry, guys, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> and look how huge he is today. Huge. Who? Jack Black. Now <laughs> uh, it's the director. Anyways. <laughs> Paying the bills. Um, what impresses me about like the meters is it seems like it should like it should be later than 1969. You know that funk stuff. I guess some of it hit a lot earlier than I seem to believe. Like you know, it sound, you, you think of that stuff as like 70s stuff. So uh, maybe like groups like this were 
ahead of the curve? I don't know. Um, I think so. There weren't too much of it. I mean, James Brown had basically invented funk, and he was he was definitely in that phase of his career at that point. And I guess Sliding the Family Stone's like kind of funk, but it's kind of a bunch of other different things. But yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty pretty ahead of its time. Totally, I believe you. It's like a okay. great soundtrack too. Yours, yeah. <laughs> great. Soundtrack. Is that where we're moving on? Cruising. Yeah. All right, let's move on. To a much more melancholy album, I guess. Uh, Five Leaves Left by Nick Drake. Uh, I also have another pretty distinct memory of when I got this album. It was right before me and Sean's family went on one of our Leavenworth trips I, I don't know if it was the trip where Sean broke his leg before we even got to Leavenworth did not break my leg, broke my shoulder okay, sorry, sorry but yeah, I was, I was listening to a lot of this in the off time when I wasn't hanging out with depressed Sean <laughs> so Which, there were other depressing things that happened on that trip uh huh. Go on. Like what? Th- no, it's it's not funny. I don't want to. It's personal. I don't <laughs> <laughs> then you probably shouldn't have brought it up. Well, it was a sad trip for a lot of reasons. Okay. Okay. Th- it does put it all on me. All right. But yeah, I guess this was pretty fitting music for that trip because it is. It's sad, but it's sad in a a pretty kind of way, you know. I definitely get a chill over me, maybe just because I have those images of Leavenworth listening to this. And I don't know, I'd probably say it's my least favorite of the three Nick Drake albums that he recorded while he was alive, but I, I think they're all pretty great. Yeah, I mean... That he recorded when he's alive? He was... Did he record some when he was dead? <laughs> Is that a question you need to have answered by someone else? You can't do that on your own, Sean? Uh, I'll, I'll just ask Wikipedia. Don't worry. I can do okay. it Okay, yeah, you, you go do that. Nick Drake discography. Posthumous discography. <laughs> uh, go ahead while I look this up. Okay, um... Yeah, I mean, this wasn't the first one I heard. I think it was probably Pink Moon. So I listened to all those albums basically backwards. So it was interesting, like, because this one is so lavish by comparison, which I feel like is kind of nice, but I feel like he was usually better when he's a little more stripped down, just him and acoustic guitar, because he is such a great guitar player. I I know he spent just countless hours late at night just messing with tunings and, you know, practicing his guitar and the few moments here when it is in the forefront it sounds fantastic and he has that soothing baritone that is always very complimentary i'm not too crazy about the strings but they're they're kind of nice it's like yeah. a bittersweet fairy tale <laughs> I, I like them it's, it, it it is cool that 
even though we did only get the three albums from him, they all they all do kind of have a a different kind of approach to I guess recording these types of folky songs. Which, yeah, it's nice. And I agree, I think he doesn't get enough respect as a guitar player. I mean everyone talks about him as a songwriter, but yeah. I've tried to do the tried to learn how to play some of those songs, but like the finger picking is just insane. I can't I can't do it. And then also they're all tuned weird, so you gotta tune your guitar for an hour and then you finally <laughs> look at the tab and you're just like, Oh, I can't just I can't even play this. I just wasted <laughs> a lot of time. I don't know how many times this happened to me. I feel like out of all the Nick Drake songs I've tried to learn to play, I've successfully learned like two. And then all the tunings I've had to go through to get there. And then it's like, I don't know how to play anything else on you know, in this tuning. It just sounds like shit. Might as well just get like 20 different guitars for different tunings. I hear that's one of the things, like there's always an urban legend that he like practically, like he, like never performed or like only performed like once or twice or would like perform not facing the audience. But... I feel like he did perform, and what people seem to say is that those shows were always kind of awkward because he had to, like, tune totally different every time. So he's kind of an artist that was really only great probably in the studio. I mean, he didn't really live long enough to find out what else he could do, which is very tragic. He's a sad, sad man who maybe someday will be happier, like now, now that he's in heaven. Rest in peace. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the Stones that roll and their like best album, Let It Bleed. ever put out you think it's their best Sean doesn't everybody think it's their best I feel like most people say exile on main street but hey I'm not I'm not gonna argue with you if you say this is their best album cuz come on it starts with gimme shelter and ends with you can't always get what you want I always thought it was kind of weird how the whole midsection is so rootsy. Uh, sort of. Maybe in my memory. I don't think it's as rootsy. <laughs> I guess. I feel like a lot of it is kind of just them doing those straight-up riff-heavy, kind of almost sleazy kind of rock songs that they do so well. I guess they do have like that honky-tonk woman country version like live with me and midnight rambler and monkey man those are just like yeah them just doing doing the stones thing just bluesy kind of awesome rock and roll you know what i was reading about was uh mary clayton the uh, the backup singer on gimme shelter is, is yeah. it is her performance common knowledge do you guys know where i'm going with this maybe Supposedly they like pushed her so hard uh, on you know on singing that that one part of the song where you can like hear her voice crack and stuff mm-hmm. that she was like ex- so exhausted that she had a miscarriage when she went home that day after recording. Wow, 
I uh, never heard that. Which is weird because I just watched the documentary Twenty Feet from Stardom, and they actually have Mary Clayton in that documentary, and she talks about that song, and Mick Jagger's there too, but they never talked about that. They're just like, wow, this is really awesome. We did a good job. <laughs> it is one of those things where it's like, I feel like they are leaving something out here. <laughs> but yeah, that's that is an awesome vocal performance from her. Just belting it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's like, well, what would Martin Scorsese movies sound like without this album? <laughs> I don't know. Try have to use another band. Yeah, lesser band. That's shipping out to Boston. Like band. Bad Company or something. <laughs> bad Company. <laughs> Just imagine that. Doom, doom, doom. Like the first scene of The Departed where Jack Nicholas is walking out. Doom, doom, doom. I feel like making love. <laughs> yeah, that'd be sweet. What you I'm all about this. Can we make okay. this happen? Can this be a fan edit? I mean, fan edit. Ahead. Just put in different rock songs, <laughs> or just all bad company songs in The Departed. Eventually, just start looping like only like the four ones people know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could take the first Bad Company album and like syncs to any movies, you know, like The Wizard of Oz and Pink Floyd. <laughs> oh, Dude, do you, know you guys you hear about the that? album? What? The uh, the Flaming Lips bullshit. No. Go on. The Flaming Lips put out an album that you can sync to Dark Side of the Moon. It's an album you play on top of another album. I don't know what that means. But it does something that the Flaming Lips would do. That's kind of interesting. And complicated. Yeah. Trying to look up what that was called. I don't know if I can find it. Can you just get it with they're already mixed together, or do you have to do it all yourself? You have to do it all yourself. (laughs) Fuck. I guess I just get two, like... C players or two computers just press play at the same time. <sighs> Why can't they just have them together? I don't it's like when the Flaming Lips released that thing with all the different. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Zyrica, the like four different CDs yeah. or something like that, where you could play them all at the same time and create your own album experience. And the idea was you're supposed had... to like go to, go to a parking lot. <laughs> Yeah. With your buddies. Like, the po- everyone gets the in their car. ability to do that back in the 90s. Crazy. Anyways. Yeah. Horrible idea. Let it bleed. So much blood. Is that... Are they going right after Let It Be? Is that their attack? Yeah, I believe so. Before, right? Yeah. So I'm guessing the Beals started recording Let It Be around that time but then it didn't get released for a while so it's weird that a parody title of it came out before the actual thing goops 
Oops. <laughs> Let's talk about Stand. That's a Sly and the Family Stone album. Yeah, you got you gotta gotta work that exclamation point. It's there for a reason. <laughs> This album's awesome because it's basically just a Sly and the Family Stone like greatest hits, basically. Scott, what do you mean? I mean, it's got a lot of their songs. When you say it's it's like a greatest hits, do you mean it's just they had a lot of really good songs, or do you mean they went back and put old songs on the album? <laughs> what do you think, Sean? Do you I notice don't... that we ask you that question a lot? What do you think, Sean? Maybe there's a reason for that. You keep asking questions. That... <laughs> the answer is just sitting there right in front of you. Sometimes I'm just saying it's the pressure of radio, Colin, is sometimes you have to speak before you can think about things. Okay? Okay. Like, well, I thought you were going to say it's because you're, you're like the voice of the audience, maybe. Not everybody's on our wavelength. Like, someone's got to ask the obvious questions. You just, you put me down. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I wasn't alive in 1969. I don't know what a family stone is. Is that like a magical orb that you have that has all your family's powers? Uh, to... <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. To be fair, I don't know what a family stone is either. We're 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 on the same level with that one, at least. It's like a family tree, right? Probably. I guess. But it's like your families. They kind of just all live together and have been hanging out for so long that they never really branched off. It's just one giant lump. Giant lump. So you have of to start family. a band. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the cool thing about Sly and the Family Stone is they they all sort of banded together like a family, even though uh, you know they're they're black people and white people and men and women all sort of jamming together in this one band where. Where it was a time when stuff like that wasn't happening. Uh, Sly Stone was just like, "All right, let's just let's all be together. Let's all come together and create this sort of mishmash of a bunch of different styles, sort of just in the spirit of the '60s, I guess." And uh, it still holds up. It doesn't seem like a phony flower power type of thing. It's still you can kind of feel the 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 come together nature of of their music at least for this part I feel like their next album got like kind of druggy and weird but uh I'd say this is the height of the sound they were known for uh this is fun I liked it the one time I listened to it yesterday good enough for me (laughs) (laughs) you've heard it here folks I liked it too I have nothing to add. 
Yeah. So let's talk about the Stooges. So it's even funnier than the original Three Stooges. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what they were thinking. And they did the band. <laughs> we're going to be even funnier than the Three Stooges. This is sort of relevant because Scott Ashton just died. I think that makes um, Iggy Pop the only person from the original lineup still alive. I think so. I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone saw that one coming. Yeah, gosh. Well, all those guys have so many drugs. I feel like they went through so like multiple bass players on albums because they just kept dying. I mean, that's <laughs> sad, but I mean, they're just doing so much drugs. Yeah, that's great. There probably was a, a bit going through the studio here, but that doesn't detract from the music because it's, it's so hard-hitting and punk-like. I mean, it is punk. It's just punk before punk or the birth of punk. And and it's rocking good stuff. Yes. I mean, because he, I don't know, he pops kind of, he kind of had a, hmm? No, oh, nothing. I was just going to say something stupid. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I'm always a fan of when you combine heavy rock riffs with hand claps. That's a good time. That's why I'm all about 1969. Or the, 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 the fun. dog song with the piano. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the one note. Do, 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 do. Gotta love that dog driving. song. That'd <laughs> be your dog. Just driving home the groove. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, but yeah, you do kind of get the feeling that these guys like barely knew how to play their instruments. <laughs> but they had such an energy and just a will to rock that they didn't care and so much swagger and that's just it's all about attitude it doesn't matter how good of a singer you are how good a musician you are it's about a feeling it's about a mood yeah so they did a song called 1969 in 1969 which is pretty awesome but what do you think a song called 2014 would sound like I don't know. I have a lot of heavy drops. Yeah. I'd assume there'd be a very, very heavy electronic beat to it. And it'd be featuring Pharrell. Yeah. Toys a good move. baby. <laughs> you think that's 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 the sound of this generation? It's not like the Lumineers. I'm just saying of this moment of 2014, it'd probably be something featuring Pharrell. All right. Maybe it's Pharrell and the Lumineers. Pharrell and the Lumineers. Can we make it happen, America? And it's got a heavy drop on it. Okay, Sounds so like the we'll get the Skrillex remix. It's got like a, a VC. Nah, Skrillex is done. Skrillex is done, alright. A VC, okay. Sean. Well, is that still dubstep? I don't... It's not, but it's not electronic. Sure. I think it's just techno or electronic, whatever. 
Doesn't matter. We're, we're mixing genres together. Yeah, that's 2014 song. That's what he does. I'm that that song is like country slash beats. That's he does a lot of other stuff too, though. Oh, yeah, I'm, well, this I this I super group has to have some kind of name. Well, okay. Uh, Pharrell's thing is he has the big hat, right? I I guess. So they could be like the crap in the hat. <laughs> okay, why would What's they name the themselves hat? that? It's super group. Why would it be the crap in the hat? Because they know they're not very no good. No one does that. That's not like a thing people do. It's like, oh, there's no toilets around here. Better crap in my hat. <laughs> you don't, don't want to pollute the environment. Never done that? That's why he wears his big hat, so he can poop in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. Everybody's been wondering. Why is that hat so big? Because <laughs> I poop a lot. <laughs> the most. What What does he do with the poop afterwards? <laughs> I bet he's got like a manservant that cleans it up. There's got to be a better way than crapping in his own hat. <laughs> Even if you're like, you just crapped the hat and then dumped it on the ground, it's like, why didn't you just go straight to the ground? And <laughs> <laughs> He's just so rich. Maybe so he... <laughs> <laughs> so rich he can afford to crap in many ads. Decadent. Does he do that like on That's stage? That's You know, nobody will notice him on stage. <laughs> is it a part of his performance? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> he That's throws the it out in the crowd. <laughs> He does his songs and people applaud and he comes out and takes a dump and throws it in the ground. You know, someone's got to carry on Guar's legacy. Be better than Pharrell. <laughs> I do think someone sold that on eBay. Look, like, oh, I got this from Pharrell concert. It's a hat full of crap. It's got his DNA or something. And it's like it became such a habit for him doing it all these shows. Now he has to wear the hat everywhere because he can't he can't get out of it. It's it's just how he goes now. He goes to the stall and he just won't even come out. Totally constipated. Can only go in hats. What a. What a medical problem. And we can thank the Stooges for him being able to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Moving <Next>. on. <laughs> the uh, Velvet Underground are here uh, to play a, a, a new song off of their old album, uh, The Velvet Underground. <laughs>
case of weird album naming where they already did an album called The Velvet Underground and Nico. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like a, a second self-titled album, basically. Which is, yeah, but that's, that's some reason sucky. they can get away with it on a technicality. Yeah. Because they didn't have Nico anymore. Hope she's okay. Okay. I'm sure she was all right. Uh, this album is <laughs> this album's cool because it it did kind of throw the Velvet Underground in a totally different direction. I'm gonna say it's probably because uh, John Cale left the band and they brought in Doug Yule and they sound. Uh, a lot more mellowed out. It, it's predominantly ballads on this album, which is cool because Lou Reed's it's pretty good at doing that stuff. He doesn't need to be writing about weird, kinky, sexual, drug stuff all the time. You can you can play it from the heart every once in a while. Mm-hmm. No, I like yeah, it. It's good stuff. I think even though you lay. Yeah, what? And that was just a lot of delays on my end, so it's hard to yeah. keep with the conversation. Lots of lots of technical difficulties. If you were gonna thumbs up, thumbs up, play one song off this album to convince everybody to listen to it, what would it be? Hmm. Just, just let me look at the track listing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm what goes on. on? I like that song because it's got a really cool guitar. So it's like, I can't do it because double tracked. So I feel like the perception of the underground is that they put out Sweet Banana album and then became irrelevant. And we got to yes. we got we got to fight back against that. But I don't know how to do it. It's okay, Sean. I think you're the only person who thinks that. <laughs> and that's fine. You're not a fan of '60s music, but uh, yeah, I think most people regard the Velvet Underground as a band who pretty much all of the stuff they put out was pretty good. Uh, I mean, there are a few misses in there, but yeah, if you haven't checked out like like Loaded, I would say is up there with I mean not being quite as radical or influential as the first album but it's got a ton of great songs and this one too it's all good stuff Sean you don't you don't need to worry they didn't just become irrelevant I don't know they did a song called rock and roll which <laughs> Zeppelin did a song called rock and roll after that song yeah it's like I can kind of get behind naming a song after the year that you did the song in mm-hmm. but, but but not the genre not the genre <laughs> can't come out a song called contemporary jazz yeah like would you listen to that I guess it depends on what time period it's from 
I don't want to hear contemporary jazz from the 90s. <laughs> this is like the 50s. It's like, I'll give it a shot. It was contemporary then when people still made good jazz. Oh, man. I'm checking out the album artist Squeeze. That's pretty suggestive. I'm about it. Of what? Squeeze. The last Velvet Underground album. Squeeze. <laughs> Is that the one that Doug Yule did without any of the other members? Probably. Looks like it. Yeah, probably is. I don't know. Any... <laughs> Musicians include Malcolm, in quotes, <laughs> and unidentified female backing vocals. Yeah, it's like, I don't know anything about that album. Well, I can tell you the album art is pretty sweet. Okay. It says possibly Malcolm Duncan. Sure, I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. I learned a lot tonight, uh, but we have one more album we have to talk about, which I've learned everything I need to know already, and that's uh, that's Tommy by the Who. <laughs> Where we've talked about this before. What was the context? We did a concept albums podcast. Uh, And like all the Who albums were nominated? Uh, I guess we only did Tommy and Quadrophenia. I guess we left out the Who sellout for some reason. We talked about that on another list. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason. Trying to repeat ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the one thing you love the most about Tommy out of anything else? That's epic. Tells a story. And it... Uh, has the thing that I love about all Who albums is that it doesn't really sound like any other Who album. I mean, there's a lot of, weirdly, a lot of acoustic guitar, but Pete Townsend plays it in such a unique style where it's like really rhythmic and fast. Also, lots of horns, I guess, because they were going for the big operatic feel to it. So Giant Muscle got to got to do that stuff. Yeah, all of it because it's like a rock opera, but from the past. (laughs) That's all needs to be said. Did you know that the first staged production of Tommy was done by the Seattle Opera at the Moore Theater here in Seattle? No. When? 1971. Including Bette Midler as the Acid Queen and Mrs. Walker. Who else? Anyone else? I don't know, John. I'm going off Wikipedia here. I, this could all be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> You're just making this all up. I'm not making Bet it up. Midler was my favorite member of the Who. <laughs> <laughs> she played a mean saxophone. 
Yeah, nobody knew she was in it because nobody knew who was in the Who. Because they're like the Who, and you didn't know. <laughs> and everybody laughed at that every time, so no one bothered to learn their names. Mm-hmm. Bette Midler. Uh, who else was in the Who? Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> what did he play? He sang, sang that Doctor song. Like he every, in the movie. No, I, I'm just trying to say him like in the band. He's lead singer, but he just kind of <laughs> talked like Jack Nicholson. Opened every show by breaking out through a door. <laughs> he played Axe. He played <laughs> plays a beat Axe. <laughs> like literally. And maybe he plays like he plays Gene Simmons' Axe-shaped bass. But he breaks down the door with that. That is awesome. A risky move to, you know, jeopardize your instrument like that. <laughs> but awesome move. Okay. We need to cut some stuff, guys. Wait. There's too much. It's too much. Okay. It's too much running on this. What do you guys uh, think? MC5, maybe? Maybe? maybe. Kicking out Mick 5 <laughs> Motherfuckers! I guess the one problem I have with that Stooges album is there's that ten minute song. It's yeah. just like violin and weird like tribal uh-huh. chanting. Uh-huh. I've never gotten through that song. Yeah, so. you can cut that. For me, it's like two-thirds of a great album. Yeah, nice job. Stupid song. (laughs) I guess I could do without Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but it seems like it plays a pretty big... played a pretty big part in your guys' lives. Yeah, I really like that album. Yeah, honestly, I'd probably look more towards... How many do we have? We have 11 right now. Still on the list. Still on the list. I'd probably go to maybe Nick Nick Drake. Yeah, we don't need some sad bullshit from some depressed guy. Plenty of that today. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm fine with that. Just, just to be clear, I was being farcical when I said that thing about Nick Drake. It's okay. I got it. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so we have ten? Yeah. Honestly, the meters is a little lower for me. Yeah, I'm... Perfectly okay with that. I'm just okay. glad it made the list. Right. One of those. Did I pronounce it right? Is it look a pie pie? I guess. I believe so. I don't know. Look, it's hard to mispronounce it. How else would you say it? Uh, look a pee pee. Look a pee pee. <laughs> no. Look a so. car. Pie, pie. 
See there, you're basically saying the same pronunciation, just very theatrical. <laughs> sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, thumbs up. Someone asked, you want to throw out something? Uh, maybe the Velvet Underground. Sure. Ah, uh, yes, the Underground. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not super crazy about Stand myself. It made Sean really sad. Yeah, I can't remember why. Because he didn't know what a family stone was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just fancy words for saying the Stone family. But they're like, what if we rearrange it to sound like fancy English people? Mm hmm. All right, there you go. Crack the code. Put it in number eight. <laughs> Hooray! Durr. I mean, at this point, I'd still go with CSN. Maybe the band. Mm. I mean, I like the band more, but I, I know Sean's close attached to CSN. I like CSN, so... I guess if the band has to go next, it can go next. That's fine. Alright. But it doesn't sound like CSN's going any higher. Probably not. Wooden ships on the water. <laughs> Wooden ships also on volunteers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like you guys are just trying to get me to listen to that song <laughs> as much as possible. I was not digging that Jefferson Airplane album, by the way. That surprises me, because it's good. Did you at least get to Volunteers? Yeah, I like that song. But That's a rest, good song. I, I guess it, it would be kind of rough if you have to listen to like 40 minutes of music just to get to that two-minute song. Yep. She's just not feeling it. Damn. What? Oh. I, I listen to Volunteers and I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that Edward Sharp's going for, but they just can't do it. Yeah, basically. Also, it's like the wrong time period to be doing that kind of thing. Yeah, now you gotta be pooping in your hat. <laughs> Come on, Edward Sharp. Change with the times. Oh, oh. Maybe Tommy next? Sure. Because I like it a lot, but I don't know. There are Who albums I like more. Here is my concern right now. Mm -hmm. We have three CCR albums. <laughs> which means one of two things. Either, like, they're three genius-level incredible albums that makes it like obviously such a powerhouse compared to everything else or you guys just like can't pick a good one so I got a scatter shot I mean they're so similar they're inseparable I don't know I guess if you had to pick one I'd go with Green River just one of the albums yeah, so would I, but I'm fine with doing it as a 
trio. Well, then if it's all three of them, I feel like what could stand They're up? Like to companion th- pieces. To three albums. Well, I, I think... still wouldn't put it at number one. Yeah, neither would I. Wow. I don't even know if I put it at number two. I probably wouldn't. So what about number four? It's probably Let It Bleed at this point. Colin? Yeah, okay. I can get I'm behind that. I'm going to Then I would say the CCR trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too. That would... Okay. And, uh, yeah, then I would put Zeppelin 1 and 2 at number 2. And, of course, because this is how this podcast operates, the Beatles got to be number 1. Someday they won't be, and I'll be like, whoa. But today they are yet again. It, it's, it's happened. I believe our 1968 podcast, we decided not to put the White Album at number 1. Ooh, yeah, who was number 1? I think it was the band. Cool. Is that but, uh, Big Pink? Yeah, music from Big Pink. But Abbey Road, I think we'll all agree it's one of our favorite Beatles albums. Oh, yeah. There's, right? there's sure. definitely a time when it was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Me too. Top 10 albums of 1969. Number 10, The Meters, Look a Pie Pie. Number 9, The Velvet Underground's second self titled album. Number 8, Sly and the Family Stone. Strand! Number 7, The Band, The Band. Uh, number 6, Crossfields and Nash, Crossfields and Nash. Uh, number 5, The Who, Tommy. Number 4, The Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. Number 3, Creedence Clearwater Revival's. Bayou Trilogy of Bayou Country, Green River, and Willie and the Po' Boys. Uh, number two, Led Zeppelin's One and Two. And number one, The Beatles' Abbey Road. So, Mad Men's back-ish around now, maybe? I don't know. It was either this Sunday or last Sunday or Sunday a couple from now. And uh, Game of Thrones is back. That's Tell pretty me. sweet. Uh, Veep, I think, also coming back pretty soon. Sunday's pretty good for television right now. And uh, if you don't believe me, maybe you can go and read something on MildlyPleased.com. Although, probably not for a while. We tend to only write about TV shows when they're over. Um, you could also check out our iTunes page. Uh, we're in the iTunes store under Top 10 Thursdays. You just search that in iTunes, or you can click the link at MildlyPleased.com. One way or another, you'll get there, and uh, and you'll see the stuff, and you can do stuff to it. We have been Top 10 Thursdays, if that hasn't been clear up to this point, and uh, we're honored that you listened this far, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Thanks, bye.